Radotosker Press presents Tales of the Chai Makani Trio by Kate McLeod, performed by Oliver Vincent. Episode 7 Running the Blockade. The interior of the shuttle was far snugger than Elliot would have expected. There was barely room enough for him to stand, and Alexstra had to stoop to keep her head from hitting the bulkheads. Kiani had an easier time. Perhaps the people who had built this ship had been scaling it to someone more her size. The interior had a stale people smell to it, like too many people had sweated inside this enclosed space, and not enough cleaning had been done between missions. There was also a sweet smell, but Elliot was pretty sure that was from whatever sort of puddle he stepped in as he came inside the door. Someone's spilled drink? Mostly dehydrated now. Then Kiani, the last one up the ramp, closed the door behind her, and the inside of the shuttle immediately felt too close and too stuffy. Elliot had never been claustrophobic in his life, but he really hated the feeling of being inside a tin can, unable to let himself out. Then a vent beside his head started blasting him with cool, metallic-smelling air. Not great, but better than the hot, close alternative. He moved further inside to get out of Kiani's way. There wasn't much to see inside the shuttle. It was almost like someone had gutted whatever had been built inside originally to allow for this open space. For hauling people, or cargo, he supposed. Lara and Wade sat in chairs that were set lower than the main floor, inside of little half-spheres of space, completely surrounded by panels and displays. The chairs could pivot in any direction, and the two of them were whirling about as they hit this switch or adjusted that setting in preparation of launch. Everything behind those cockpit chairs was cold, unadorned bulkheads and the inside curvature of the hull. Elliot feared they would be sitting on the floor and started looking around for any sort of handhold. He had no idea what flying was going to be like, but he had seen the way the shuttles that flew over his head had banked and turned, sharply and at great speed. He could only imagine what it was going to be like, riding inside of one when they maneuvered like that. But Alexstra seemed quite at home inside the ship. She pounded the side of her fist at what seemed to Elliot to be random spots on the inside of the hull, but then little squares of metal dropped down to hang horizontally. Seats. She had made seats appear. Buckle in, she said, taking the seat closest behind Lara. Elliot sat across from her, behind Wade. Kiani pounded her own seat open and sat down next to Alextra. You've been on a shuttle before? Kiani said to Alextra. Never this model, Alexstra said. But yes. Is that part of what Calrin wanted you to tell us? Elliot asked. Probably, but let's hold on to that thought for now, Lara said as she and Wade locked their chairs in a forward position. Some of their taller displays folded down, and one continuous display appeared behind them, stretching from a point beside Alexstra all the way around the front of the shuttle to point beside Elliot. Then that screen flickered to life and Elliot saw the opening of the spaceport with the brightly lit desert beyond. What's the plan? Alexstra asked as she leaned over Lara's shoulder as far as her seat's restraints would allow her to. Elliot was still fussing with his own belts, trying to work out what went where. We're going up to the flagship. We have contact inside that will give us permission to dock. Then we'll meet in the hangar and make the exchange. Lara said. Exchange? Elliot asked. You three are meeting the contact, and the contact is giving us some intel to bring back to Calrin, Wade explained. Who's the contact? Elliot asked. 
We'll see when we get there, Wade assured him. The flagship is on the far side of the moon, Elixra said. That's correct, Lara said. There are a thousand shuttles on patrol between us and the flagship, Elixra said. Don't worry about it, Wade said with a little wave. Lara's the best blockade runner in the rebellion. She and I have done this dozens of times. You don't have clearance codes or anything? Elextra asked. Nope, Lara said, touching her earpiece briefly as if listening to something the rest of them couldn't hear. Then she gave Wade a nod, and the shuttle lifted up off the ground. Elliot's stomach protested this strange new motion at once. He didn't like it. It felt too out of his control. But nowhere near as out of control as what Lara was still explaining. We have to avoid the patrols. It's tricky. They don't stick to any sort of pattern, and their equipment is better than ours. But we'll be fine, trust me, Lara said. If Colrin trusts you, that's good enough for me, Alextra said. But when she sat back in her seat, she started adjusting the tightness of her restraints. Elliot copied her motions. Apparently this was going to be a bumpy ride. The shuttle hovered as it slowly advanced along the flight deck. But then they ran out of flight deck, and they were hovering over the desert. Sands far, far below. They seemed to hang there forever, although Elliot was sure it was only a second or two. Then he was blasted back into his left. His seat had no arm to it, no side at all. He grasped his own restraints and held them tight, trying to keep his buttocks centered on his seat, but he could only occasionally catch a glimpse through the front screen as they climbed up into the sky. Then they hit a cloud, and there was nothing to see but a fog of whitish-gray. Wade, five o'clock, Lara said her voice almost lost in the roar of the wind past the hull of the ship. I see them, he said, already shifting in his chair to touch a different control panel. They rolled to one side, and now Elliot's feet were flying up in front of him. He was being pulled forward against his restraints, and he was really worried they weren't tight enough. If he slipped out through the bottom, he was going to fall on Alextra and Kiani. He could see them across from him, smashed back against the hull behind him, looking up at him as he kicked his feet ineffectually. Don't worry, Elliot, we'll be out of the atmosphere soon, Alextra told him. Then the shuttle rolled all the way around. For a moment, everything felt upside down, and they were back to that tilt, only now the other way. Elliot was pressed back into his seat, and Kiani's feet were swinging wildly in the center of the shuttle. Only Alextra remained completely calm, her feet folded together and tucked neatly beneath her seat. How did she do that? Then they leveled out again and blasted forward and Elliot once more had to fight to keep from sliding to the left. He hated flying. Then, all at once, everything just stopped. The roar of the wind was gone, and nothing was pulling him in any particular direction. Quite the opposite, in fact. He felt like he was floating in water. His feet buoyed up in front of him, but when he bent them back down, they obeyed. He looked through the front screen, but saw nothing but black. We stopped, he asked, breathless. We are still moving. We just stopped accelerating, Alextra told him. We evaded that patrol before they even saw us, Wade said, turning in his seat far enough for even Elliot to see him grinning. The rest of the trip shouldn't be anywhere near as eventful. But we'll be keeping our eyes peeled all the same, Lara said pointedly, and Wade spun his chair back around to pay attention to his screens. This is the moment, then, Kiani said to Alextra. This is when you explain what's been going on with you? Of course, Alextra said. But first, 
How much do either of you know about the Commonwealth and Odgall's place in it? Not much, Elliot admitted. They showed up here a few years ago and just told us they were in charge. They said we're a colony of their government and we couldn't really fight back. We had a little technology, no space flight at all. They picked our governor for us, he's basically their puppet, and my mother was part of the resistance ever since the real candidate lost that election. I was born on Odgall, but in a prison camp full of prisoners from other parts of the Commonwealth, Kiani said. I know I'm not really from here, but I don't know where I'm from. Not really. My parents never talked about it. Uh, but from some things that Jake told me, I gathered they were from other colonized low-technology planets like Odgall. But what do you know about the Commonwealth specifically? Alextra pressed. They both just gave her blank looks and shrugged. I mean, do you know who rules the Commonwealth? I thought the Commonwealth was who rules, Elliot said, confused by the question. There's an empress, Lara said from the cockpit. She rules. Just one woman? Kiani asked. No emperor or advisors or anything? There are advisors, of course, but the final say on everything, absolutely everything, is hers, Alextra said. What does the empress have to do with you? Kiani asked. Are you one of her bodyguards or something? A daughter? Elliot said, almost at the same time. Although... Given her proficiency with fighting and her unique weapon, Kiani's guess made more sense. But Alextra looked to him before nodding. Doesn't that make you a princess? Kiani asked. No wonder everyone's been trying to find you, Elliot said. That's not for my own sake, I promise you. I'm a very minor princess, she said. What does that even mean? Kiani asked. The Empress has seventy-seven daughters, Alextra said. In fact, I've only met her once, briefly, when my cohort of sisters turned sixteen. It was a state event. How could you only meet her once? You were her baby, Kiani said. That's a little different when you're dealing with my mother, Alextra said with a sigh. For generations the rule of the Commonwealth passed down from father to son, but then the family stagnated. Fewer children were born each time. When my mother was a little girl, her father took ill. The officials in the Commonwealth scoured every corner of every planet in our dominion, for even the most distant relative to pass the emperorship onto. But there were none. And so, when my grandfather died, my mother became the first empress of the Commonwealth. Isn't that a good thing? Kiani asked. But Elliot could tell by her voice she was thinking the same thing as he was. From the look on Alextra's face, it clearly had not been a good thing. She swore there would never again be an emperor, and so she produced her own daughters, with her the only genetic parent. She had her scientists recombine her own DNA into eleven perfect daughters, and they were implanted in surrogates, and born precisely on her own eighteenth birthday. Eleven at once? Elliot said. Eleven surrogates gave birth. Alextra said. And then four years later, eleven more, and so on. How far down the line are you? Elliot asked. She had called herself a minor princess, after all. I was part of the sixth generation, 
I descend from what's considered the fifth of the original eleven genetic templates, Alextra said. That sounds so cold, Kiani said, hugging herself. Oh, wait, Elliot said, suddenly remembering. Colton Ward said something about this when he met you, because of your name? I don't remember exactly. No, you have it, Alextra said. Every name given to a princess becomes unusable in the rest of the Commonwealth. It is unique to the princess. Seventy-seven names no one can use? Elliot said. You said you had it first, so it was okay? Kiani remembered. It's a legal gray area, Alextra said. Most parents choose to rename their children anyway, just to be on the safe side. The Empress is capricious, never to be trifled with. So, Colden Ward thinks he's trying to get a runaway home? Elliot asked. I don't know exactly what he thinks, Alextra said. But I suppose technically I am a runaway. I was meant to be attending a prestigious university in a far quadrant from the homeworld. But that was a lie. I sent another girl in my place. I suppose she's been caught by now. If Colden Ward reported me the moment he saw me. Why are you here? Elliot asked. I wanted to learn what the Commonwealth was really like. I was pretty sure my princess education was not entirely truthful, and I wanted to see for myself what was true, Alextra said. That's the only reason? Elliot asked. It didn't seem like enough considering how much trouble Colton Ward was going through to bring her home again. I did learn something upsetting just before I decided to leave, Alextra admitted. Well, it wasn't something I stumbled across. It was something I dug up but it never made sense to me why my mother of seventy-seven heirs, even the first eleven was excessive, but seventy-seven? What does she need all them for? Elliot asked, but he was pretty sure he didn't want the answer. She thinks having living copies of herself gives her power, Alextra said. In which case, my real question was, why stop at seventy-seven? I suppose they get hard to manage, Kiani said. Are you the only one who's run away? So far... Alextra said. I couldn't persuade any of the others to even listen to me. What did you find out? Elliot asked. Everything changes in four years. Everything, Alextra said. Elliot supposed it was only surprising it took this far into the story for her to finally sound bitter. My youngest cohort of sisters is fourteen now. When they reach the age of eighteen, everyone's education is going to be considered complete. It doesn't matter who we are, or what we're stuttering, or how far we are. We'll all be called home again. And then what? Kiani asked. Then we'll be imprisoned in the palace, Alextra said. I've seen the designs. She's having a tower built to house us all. We'll be walled into individual cells. We'll never see each other again. We'll ever see anyone again. We'll just all be in one place, amplifying my mother's power. Until she dies? Elliot guessed. She has the best scientists in the known universe working for her, Alextra said. She can live for centuries. Centuries. So why are you here then? Kiani asked. Why aren't you stopping her? For a minute, it looked like Alextra was going to cry. Kiani looked just as alarmed at this prospect as Elliot felt. But then Lara interrupted. We're coming around the moon now, if you want your first look at the flagship. Alextra immediately leaned over Lara's shoulder to look. Elliot suspected this was more about getting out of the conversation than anything else, but 
that was fine with him. Half of the front screen was the silver curve of the moon's surface, turning slowly below them. Then something else came into view. Elliot's mouth went dry when he saw the Commonwealth ship emerging from behind the moon, just as dominating as the other ships hovering over his home city for so many years. Then he realized what he was looking at wasn't a ship. It was a part of a ship. A jutting protrusion. Maybe the command deck or something? But whatever it was, it was alone the size of the ships he was used to gawking at the immensity of. But the rest of the ship just kept emerging into view below it. It went on and on, spreading wider and deeper. He couldn't wrap his head around the size of the thing. That's the flagship, he said to himself. That's the flagship they send out to conquer minor worlds, Alextra told him. The ones we use to defend ourselves from other world systems at our own level are quite a bit larger. Being big just means it's easier for us to be ignored, Lyra assured them, but then she gulped. Sorry, it's just I'm an odd gull girl myself. I've learned how to fly Commonwealth tech, and I know I'm more about the rest of the universe than most, but that thing never fails to make me feel like a teeny tiny bug. It's meant to, Alextra said. I'm sending the security codes now, Wade said as he worked one of his control panels. Roger that, Lara said. She sounded calm, but her hands gripping the yoke were white-knuckled. Elliot leaned closer to the screen. He could see little dots everywhere, like gnats attracted to a light source. Then he realized they were shuttles. They were all Commonwealth shuttles. On Commonwealth business moving to and from just generally around the flagship. How do you spot patrols and all that? He asked. Mostly at this point we don't need to, Lara told him. If our codes are good and up to date, once we get an acknowledgement from the flagship security, we'll be greenlit in all Commonwealth scopes. If they're good? Elliot asked. If they aren't good, we just run away, Wade said with a grin. That's the plan? Kiani asked, her voice almost cracking. Wade touched his earpiece, then spun back around in his chair to look at his control panel. We're good, he said. I can see a screen lit on the scopes, Lara confirmed with relief in her voice. We're being directed to dock in hangar AHH-467, he said. AHH-467, Lara said, tapping at something on a panel to her left. Then the shuttle made an adjustment. Just a gentle change in momentum that changed the direction they were heading. Their head-on view of the flagship shifted down ever so slightly. Who's telling us where to dock? Elliot asked. Our contact, Lara told him. Whoever it is, it might be your mother, but like I said, we haven't had contact with her in a while, but we have other people implanted in the crew. We never know who we're meeting with until we're face to face, Wade said. Not even then, frankly, unless it's someone we recognize. Everyone implanted in the crew has a fake identity as a Commonwealth citizen, Lara said. It's safer for everybody if we don't know any more names than we need to. But we're here to find my mother, right? Elliot asked. He couldn't see another reason why Colrin would send the three of them up in the shuttle to the flagship. Hopefully, Lara said. Then she turned her attention back to her flying. The shuttle was very close to the hull of the flagship now. Elliot watched the window after window pass beside them, interrupted at regular intervals by the bulging protrusions of heavy cannons. 
There were no windows on the cannons, and he could see, and even the other windows had prominent metal shutters above and below them. They were all open now, but he was sure a signal command would could seal the entire ship tight in the blink of an eye. He saw figures passing by the windows, all in Commonwealth uniforms, but every window he could see through only showed him another featureless hallway. Preparing to dock, Lara said, and the shuttle shuddered as she banked at a hard left. Then that hovering feeling hit Elliot's stomach again as they slowly advanced inside the open doors of the dock. The flying itself wasn't so bad, but whatever engines handled this hovering motion were really not his favorites. They passed the open, heavy-duty doors of the dock, then landed on a flight deck so tiny, Elliot doubted more than two more shuttles could ever be parked there. As it was, theirs was the only shuttle in that space. Elliot could just see some sort of observation room jutting out of the wall, to their right, but no one was moving behind those windows. The shuttle settled to the ground, and then it was like someone's hand smashed down on them from above. Gravity was back. He had been so engrossed in Electra's story he had never even noticed it had been gone, but his feet were back up on the floor, and the others were already unbuckling and standing up. Where to now? Electra asked. It doesn't look like anybody is even here. We're on an unused flat deck, Laris said. Either we meet our contact here, or we find them elsewhere. We just have to get into the command room over there first and access a computer, Wade said, pointing to what Elliot had just been looking at. Then he got out of his chair well and brushed past Elliot's knees to get to the ramp in the back. We can breathe out there, right? Elliot asked in a rush when he saw that Wade was about to open the hatch. Sure, there's a force field over the dock opening, Wade said. They only close the blast doors when they're under the sort of attack where someone is going to try to board. This ship is huge, but it's technically under crude, Lara told him. There's a lot of open space, a lot of empty rooms or corridors for us spies to do our work in. Why did you come here? Kiani asked Alextra as Wade and Lara watched the ramp slowly lower down. It wasn't where I was intending to go, Alextra admitted. I was almost caught at the spaceport back in the homeworld. I got away by jumping on the first ship I could find that was departing for anywhere. At all. But it's not like it mattered. What's happening here is happening everywhere. One place is as good as any other. How many planets are being colonized right now? Do you have any idea? Elliot asked. Alextra shook her head sorrowfully. No one knows, except perhaps my mother, the Empress. And I'm not sure she's really counting. Sucks, doesn't it? Wade said with a wry grin. If we're going to be conquered and subjugated, it would be nice for it to at least mean something to the victor. We'll figure out a way to stop it, Lara said, then ducked under the bulkhead to descend the ramp, turning to head towards the command room. Electra, Kiani, and Elliot trailed behind with Wade. Electra kept her hand close to her tanjo, and Kiani was fidgeting with her knives. Elliot thought about taking out his needle gun, but he still didn't really know how to use it, and neither Lara nor Wade even seemed to be armed. Elliot held his breath as Lara pushed open the hatch into the command room, but there was no one inside. She waited for them all to step through, then shut the hatch behind them. The clang echoed ominously. Right, Wade said as he sat down at the nearest computer terminal. He cracked his knuckles loudly, then started typing on the keyboard. No password? Electra asked. I have an admin one that always works, Wade said, but in a muted tone. He was focused on his work now, whatever it was. 
He typed and tabbed through screens faster than Elliot could follow. Check the detention sails first, Lara said as she peered through the tiny window built at eye level in the hatch. She was keeping watch over the shuttle, Elliot realized. I'm checking that second, Wade informed her. I have an inbox to check first. No message from our contact. Okay, detention cells. You think that's where my mother is? Elliot guessed. It's possible, Lara said. No, nothing on her. Not under Valeria Taylor or his Jaro, Wade said. That's her commonwealth identity, Lara explained to Elliot. Isle Jaro is a lieutenant commander on this ship. She's worked her way up from inside. Since she left me? Elliot asked. Lara gave him a sympathetic look, but that wasn't what he meant. She had only been gone for a few years. He didn't know much about the Commonwealth, but he knew there was a lot of ranks to rise through in such a short time. She must be really good at her job, but that meant being really good at the Commonwealth military job that she was only doing so that she could operate as a spy for the Rebellion. But if she was good at that job, wouldn't she have made it back home by now? It was all too confusing. Then suddenly, Wade sat back in his chair, hands raised up and hovering in midair. The look on his face was almost like he was offended for some reason. What's going on? Lara asked him, trying to look at him and out the little window at the same time. I've been locked out, Wade said. He still looked offended, but then he switched to angry determination and bent over the keyboard again. The keys clacked loudly as he typed. I was just running an inquiry on Isla Jaro, trying to get a current location. If she's not in the brig, or worse, which she isn't, then she must be our contact. I mean, someone gave us our docking instructions, but no one is responding to any of my messages on any of the dead drop boards. Then he pounded the keyboard with both his hands, all ten fingers at once. Elliot was pretty sure that wasn't typing anything. He pounded twice, then sat back in his chair with a huff. Definitely locked out, he said. Then he gestured at the computer as if it were a co-worker he was having a beef with. In my defense, I'm not a computer guy, I'm a pilot. Co-pilot, Lara said automatically. <sighs> I know how to put in a password and use it like any other user. I don't know what to do when it turns on me like this, he grumbled. Alextra sucked in a breath. We run, she said. He probably just hit a wrong key, Lara said. But Alextra was shaking her head too emphatically. No. We run, she said, then caught Lara's hand before she could open the hatch. Not that way. The shuttle is that way, Lara said. It's a trap, Elliot guessed. Someone lured us here and then went silent. It has to be a trap. Rat, Lara said and turned towards the other door. But they were too late. The door opened with a bang. The light from the corridor beyond was blinding. Elliot fell back, blinking against the silvery whiteness that seared his eyeballs. When he could finally see again, it was to find them all surrounded by Commonwealth security officers. And they were outnumbered. Two to one. There was a lot of shouting and confusion, and even more pushing as they were herded out of the tight space inside the command room, down the narrow corridor beyond, and then into a larger but more normally lit corridor. Just cooperate, Lara hissed to the others. Play for time. Alextra looked like she wanted to argue with this. But Wade, who was closest to her, whispered something to her too low for Elliot to hear. But Alextra nodded and stopped struggling against the two guards who had her by the elbows. 
They reached the end of the wider corridor, then stopped suddenly, for no reason that Elliot could see. The security officers then lined them up and pushed them down onto their knees. Elliot felt something wrap itself around his wrists, then snug painfully tight and realized he had been cuffed. One officer walked past all of them, not looking at any of their faces, just checking that they were all cuffed and on their knees. Then he turned and gave someone else a hand signal. What now? he asked. Could they execute him as a spy? Had he never actually done anything? But the Commonwealth was all about guilt by association. And he was very guilty in his associations. Boot heels rang loudly from somewhere out of sight. A single person striding purposely towards them. Then she came into view. She was taller than most of the other officers, her uniform navy while theirs were black. She had a lot more insignia on her uniform as well. Not that he knew what any of it meant. But all that faded away the moment Elliot got a good look at her face. Lieutenant Commander Jarrow, Lara said dryly. It's been a long time. It has, Elliot's mother agreed. But then she tapped the insignia on her breast. But it's Commander Jarrow now. She didn't seem to have noticed Elliot there at all. Somehow, calling out to her didn't seem like the right thing to do just then. He really hoped this was all just her acting the part. Once she got them away from the other Commonwealth security soldiers, that was time to try to talk to her. Another promotion? Lara was saying. Congratulations. Yes, it's been a big change, Jero said. She looked Lara over, then took a step and examined Kiani for a long moment. Then she glanced back at Lara again to say, There have been a few big changes, actually, but I'm sure you'll catch up soon enough. I don't want to trouble you if you're busy here, Lara said airily. We can get out of your hair and be on our way. Is that meant to be amusing? Jero asked, now looking down at Wade. But she passed him over quickly to look at Alextra. She frowned, and Elliot watched as uncertainty turned to suspicion, then confusion. She looked like she was about to ask either Alextra or possibly Lara a question, but in the end, she just shook her head and took another step to her left, and was face to face with Elliot. He bit down on his lip hard, desperate not to say anything, but just as desperate to say... something. But she only just glanced at him, her eyes moving on as quickly as they fell on him. Even Wade had gotten more of an examination than that. She turned his back on him, and he could see her hands folded behind her. They clutched each other tightly, the thumb of one rubbing the palm of the other as if in thought. Then she looked up at the officer who Elliot had assumed was in charge before. Lieutenant Terence, she said to get his attention. Yes, Commander? He said, snapping to attention, but he relaxed again almost at once, and Elliot sensed that the two of them had worked together for some time, despite the formality of their speech with each other. To the brig or to the nearest airlock? He asked with a subtle sneer. Airlock? No. Not without a trial, Jero said with marked sarcasm. Elliot leaned forward ever so slightly. He didn't know exactly what he thought he could do, but sitting on his knees and playing for time wasn't it. But Lara hissed a warning sound at him, even before the guards behind him pulled him back into the line. Brig, then, 
the lieutenant said, and started to raise a hand to direct the other guards. No, Terence, not just yet. This doesn't seem like the usual riffraff from the surface to me. I think I'll bring them directly to the Admiral myself, Jaro said. The Admiral? Terence stammered. One of them meets a description I've been given. A need-to-know thing, Jaro said. I thought I knew all your need-to-knows, Terence said. Oh, sure, but not your whole squad, Lieutenant, she said with a laugh that sounded discordant to Elliot's ears. That wasn't the way his mother laughed at all. All high and shrill like that? And yet, Terence didn't seem to find anything unusual in it as he laughed along good-naturedly. Then he made another hand signal, and the guards behind Elliot dragged him back to his feet by his armpits. It wasn't comfortable at all, being picked up that way, and it wasn't easy to walk with his hands cuffed behind his back, not at the pace the guards were setting for them. But Elliot barely noticed any of that. All he could think was what were the odds the Admiral was also a rebel spy. Could one of them have worked their way so far up the ranks? Or was his mother no longer a spy? What if she was a traitor? But what really made him feel sick to his stomach was that she hadn't seemed to recognize him at all, and he didn't know if that was going to make whatever happened next better or worse. Was she going to find a way to protect him? Or was she disappointed in him now that she had caught him spying on the group that had her current loyalties? Would she push him out of an airlock, even knowing who he was? He wished he could say for sure that she wouldn't, but he really didn't know. And as immense as the Commonwealth flagship was, he didn't have long to figure it out before they got to this admiral. Then his fate would be decided. Whatever that would be. This has been Tales of the Chimacani Trio by Kate McLeod, performed by Oliver Vincent. Tales of the Chimacani Trio is a Rotatosker Press production.